2: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses
2: are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the South, it's always college football season, and the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. The number one media contact
3: I have for Alabama football me a big curveball earlier this week. It is the Chuck Oliver Show on a Thursday. And I've told you, I got men everywhere. Um, and though my wife doesn't like the phrasing, I got ladies some places too. Um, but mostly I got men. And my number one man when it comes to Alabama, in fact, I'm going to say, I wish I knew as much about anything as this guy knows about Alabama. Dan, any question in your mind who I'm
0: talking about? I have a good idea. Drew
3: DeArmond. That's it. Um, I, I, seriously, there's a line in that movie, Knocked Up, that Paul Rudd says, I wish I was excited about anything, as my daughters are, about bubbles, about just blowing bubbles. It's because when you're you know, 38 years old and you got two critters and you realize you've been married to this person for 12 years and you look around and you're like, everything has been decided. This is my life now. Um and that's kind of what it is. Well, you look over when it comes to football, I wish I knew anything as well as Drew Diarman knows. And by the way, Drew is the morning show host, he's one of the co hosts there. Uh, he and Scott, um, on our, our Huntsville affiliate. And we don't wear him out much, we try not to, but when there's a relevant reason and it's big time, you know, we want some analysis, some deep dive. You know, Drew can deep dive on stuff that happened before he was even a thought in his mom and dad's brain. And so love having him on. And over the past few years, at various times when Alabama has had a strong opponent, now it could be 2019 LSU, or it could just be like a really feisty Missouri team, but I normally am expecting Bama to win. And when I say normally, I mean sometimes 12 games out of 12. It's not unusual for 11 out of 12. And so this week ahead of a game against a quality opponent, when they play New Mexico State, I do not ask him this. But when they're playing a quality opponent, when it's the Iron Bowl, when it's Georgia, when it's UF, when it's whoever, same question I have asked him dozens of times before ahead of a big Bama game. Hey, Drew, how's Bama win on Saturday? Now, most often, do you know what that is? Most often, that's, we both believe Alabama will win, but what is the recipe? This time, it's, hey, man, can Bama win? And if so, how? So again, same question. I've asked him over and over and over and over. And do you know every single time, without exception, when I have asked Drew, hey, how's Bama win Saturday? Every single time I have asked him that, it's been very close to the same answer, and it's very short. If Alabama doesn't turn it over, and then like a few more words, like six more words, and Drew's done. Uh, If they don't turn it over and blah, blah, they'll probably win. Every single time. This week, minute and a half. Drew was rolling. And it ended with him telling me, and that just seems like a lot that would have to happen, and I don't see it, not against this Georgia team. Now, I can go through all that he said, and he did start with, well, there had to be some turnovers. And he wasn't talking about Bama. See, that's the big indicator. And you've heard me say this. The unintentional is always the most revealing. When I asked Drew in a normal week, like the opener against Miami, hey, uh, so how's Alabama win Saturday? Well, if Alabama doesn't turn it, you know what he's saying? When his entire answer is, if Alabama doesn't X, Y, Z, they win. He's telling me the opponent is so far outclassed that it's not even about them. He didn't say him and De'Eric King. He's like, well, if they don't, it's about Alabama. It ain't about Bama this week. It's about the opponent. And Drew didn't say, well, as long as Bama doesn't turn it over, he said, if they can create a couple of turnovers, if they can take it away a couple of times. Talked about that. What else do we always talk about when there's an upset? What is always special teams? And that can happen. Special teams, you have no idea. That's weirdness, especially in a building that those teams don't know as well. Dan, how long is If uh, 17, 18. Georgia's played in there. Gosh, is it four games or three? Bama's played four Maybe. Because, yeah, Bama opened the place in 17, didn't they?
0: Against Florida State? They did. Georgia, yeah. uh, on uh, just counting on my hand, three SECs in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl last year. So four, absolutely. So there's familiarity,
3: but one game, and it was a year ago? I'll say it's not like you're walking into Jerry World or something where you've never seen it. If you're Georgia, I guess. Bama may have been there. But you're going to talk about Turnovers and special teams every time, and Drew did. And honestly, you know what else you can throw in? Kirby making a coaching gaffe, because since he showed up in Athens, the team's most either f- they've had a lot of frustrating moments. They've had they've had just soul crushing moments. Do you know what almost almost all of them have involved? Not in his first season, like the Vanderbilt game. That, that whatever he's he's trying to he's trying to put stuff in place. So sixteen, eh, whatever. Um, do you know what the most just I mean soul crushing, deflating moments for the Georgia team have involved since two thousand seventeen? Coaching choices, coaching decisions. Not a snap over the punter's head. It's the decision to run a fake punt. So a coaching gaffe. And so all of this, minute and a half. Go back and listen to it. Was it Tuesday we had Drew on? Go back and listen. Maybe it's Monday. Whatever. Minute. Drew, how can Bama win on Saturday? Tick, 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 tick. And at the end, I had the same summary that, that he had. Seems like a lot to ask of a team that has done practically none of it in the previous 12 games. Everything that Drew talked about in his minute and a half, Georgia hadn't done it. Bama's got to be able to hit some big plays. Well, okay, can I? Bill O'Brien has to decide he's going to call that play, and then somebody's got to figure out how to block it. If you don't block in the ground game, do you know what can happen? You might lose a yard or two, or it might do you get stoned at the line of scrimmage, whatever stuff happens. Second 11 is not groovy. I can do something about it. You know what happens when you don't block for the quarterback, when you don't protect it's second 19, if you still have the ball and because the quarterback uh, he's, if he's doing his job, he's looking downfield. So there's a chance he doesn't see the hit at all. There's a chance he's going to be a tough guy and take the hit but keep his eyes downfield. Do you know what's also working against him? Quarterbacks wear smaller pads to allow for more mobility. So even that is a g- so you've got to figure out how to block that. And what's Bama been doing? I, I am not wearing this kid out because we've talked plenty about Christopher Owens, but it's the same thing with Kendall Randolph. He's on scholarship to play offensive line in the SEC, okay? Show of hands if that was you. My, my hand didn't go up. So, so, God bless Kendall Randolph, and I mean that. He was either over-recruited or, or something. Somebody had a bad eval because he's not an Alabama lineman. And I don't know that he's an SEC lineman. He is now. Kendall Randolph, who was number sixty, I think, and he's eighty-five now. And he is a red shirt senior. And he's done everything possible that he can and he's play he's playing at his hundred percent and he's a great kid and he's going a diploma from Alabama. And I mean there's nothing but positives about him. He's not supposed to be playing this much. He really is not. Chris Owens, they had decided he's not supposed to be playing this much. And then against Auburn, they're like, mm, maybe he should be. There are, are major, major issues. And Georgia, I've, I've told you, folks, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. The number one defense, and if you've never written this down on the list on the side of the fridge where we have that sheet from the yellow legal pad, we write on it with black ink pen, keep it under a magnet, we have sports rules, life rules. All right, so so we got rules there. If you can't pass protect, you can't call shot plays. When I look at this game on Saturday, it's, it, is, it is confusion for my brain because I know what I am expecting to see every time. All right, those guys in that uniform coached by that guy. And Saturday, going to be way different. On your sports rules, I have said this 100 times since we've been on the air. And if you don't have this down, write it down right now. Sports rule, if you can pressure the quarterback with just your four linemen, and if it's a three-man front, your walk-up, your jack. If you can pressure the quarterback with just your four linemen, you're going to win. If you can play zone... If you can drop seven players into zone behind pressure on the quarterback, I don't care who the receivers are. And George is going to be able to do that on Saturday. So, um, they got great coaches in Tuscaloosa and I know that they are busy right now. We're going to break come back with more of the Chuck Oliver show next.
2: Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. When you get this university, LSU, with the leadership that it has and, and the cohesiveness of leadership across the board, and it's in the SEC, ding, ding, ding. Brian Kelly,
3: he comes off as genuine. And when he was defending, doing the best he could, he didn't have a lot to work with. Um, when he was defending Notre Dame's performance after this past year's playoff exit, and he was talking about point differential and getting closer, he knows none of that stuff matters, but he was trying to defend as best he could. That's when we're all supposed to treat him like a heavy bag. All right. He, he's supposed to be a pinata. And, uh, oh, you know, you got hammered and you're not even close. There was a little of that, but it was all kind of set to nerf pain because Brian Kelly's likable, and he's believable, and he's genuine. Um, and I'm telling you, Dan, did you – rocking a
0: awesome purple blazer, man. Oh, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine yesterday. <laughs> it was great. He is going to be the anti-O I mean, just the complete opposite of, oh, every Monday when he addresses the media, he's going to be up at the front in a blazer, a sport coat, something of the sort. It's going to be nicely dry cleaned. It's going to have the lapel pin, everything of the sort. It's going to be a little bit different around there uh so he
3: was at the uh, press conference yesterday did you watch most of it or all of it or
0: i did i mean i caught that and then of course you know i caught the obligatory once you are named the head coach at the halftime of the basketball oh, yeah, game yeah, yeah. you address the crowd you rile up the crowd do all that kind of stuff uh a little bit of a misstep that i'm going to bring up here in just a second all right our buddy uh moscona was that Matt moscona you listening
3: uh, he asked a question yesterday, and uh, it was it was a skilled veteran reporter's move. He asked the question and said, and as a follow up, uh, so he ha- he didn't have to get back in line for the second question. Um, and it was about the LSU roster and being familiar with the talent and and you know how to enhance that in recruiting because Notre Dame made some hay in Louisiana, uh, which I mean, no no successful college program you know, needs to set ways and figure out how to get a, get to Louisiana. I mean, everybody already knows that way. Uh, and and Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, they're just like everybody else. There are players every single year in that state that they wanted. And so uh, that was him from the, his press conference yesterday. And, I mean, there was no game, you know, on December 1st. But there is supposed to be, ever so often for LSU, there really is. There's supposed to be a, a West Division contender every season. And they're supposed to figure it out and actually get to Atlanta. Pretty much regular. In fact, I would say after you know the team that ate the West Division, uh, they would probably be your, your your second most likely program if you're going to rank. You know, hey Chuck, handicap the West Division for the next ten years. I'm going to say, all right, Bama, and then probably LSU second, even uh, ahead of Jimbo. Uh, what you got, Dan?
0: Well, you know, it is, like I said, the halftime speech there, of course, you know, the one that everybody is always measured up against is Jim Trestle's, the one that he had where, you know, you're going to be proud of our young men in the community, everything of the sort, and then in 340 days or whatever it was, when we take on that team from up north, and of course, everybody lost their minds. So Kelly kind of had the same thing going last night, Crouch chanting LSU, doing all that stuff. He gets rolling, man. I mean, he is really into it, and then the misstep. When we bring a basketball football national championship here, so I'm not gonna hold it against him. Look, it was in the moment, he was excited. It's all part of the fun, it's all part of the excitement of getting the fan base riled up, so that's what it is. Hey, you know what would be the the best story here
3: is that Dan's totally wrong and that Kelly did it on purpose. And he's a heel, and he's already turned on the
0: hoops, Coach, because I'm going to win a national title for football. What about this guy? Yeah, good luck, Will Wade, you know, trying to uh, not only get through the SEC, but also trying to navigate the NCAA waters. Um, You know, speaking of uh, Brian Kelly and all coaches now, because I got to believe Brian Kelly is going to be in this market, all major coaches are, including even Dabo. I heard you talk about it the other day with somebody about the transfer market, because it is college football now. But I think that more than anything, there needs to kind of be a buyer beware when it comes to the transfer market and what really got me to you know the the radar on this on was a few years ago when I was talking with Matt Moscona at sec media days, he asked me about Florida's quarterback situation. I said, I think they're in a great spot with Malik Zaire. He looked at me and goes, Dan, if Malik Zaire was really that great, he would still be the guy at Notre Dame. And I thought about it there for a second. And it was kind of like, you know what? Maybe you're kind of right. Because I think for everybody who thinks that they're getting the next great thing in the transfer market. Yeah. Joe Burrow happens. Everett Golson also happens. Yeah, you know, Darian Kendrick happens this year at Georgia. Tyke Smith also happens. Now, some of it's not their fault, but it's also as well of people thinking that you're going to be getting the next great thing. Sometimes you're going to be getting a guy who was just looking for the wrong spot.
3: For some individual players, it has worked out as the end of the rainbow, but it is a tough, tough combination, man.
2: the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show
3: if we could set the flux capacitor for i don't know a month ago I was having conversation on this here radio show about Brian Harson being SEC Coach of the Year, and it was well-founded conversation. And then they lost on the road to a better team, and and got nothing done offensively. But but they lost on the road, and and like I said, uh, that bunch, that defensive bunch, and that crowd, in that day, and so Texas a and did what they did. Um, after that, Auburn kind of took the pipe and they had three wins that were there for the taking, and they were all conference wins, including the Iron Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. Not exactly the springboard into the off season and recruiting for Brian Harson that he envisioned, as well as the staff change, et cetera, that they got to move on pretty quickly, I would guess. Uh, to give the download on all of this, because Auburn recruiting is what he does. From 24-7 Sports, Keith Niebuhr. Brother, welcome back. How have you been?
1: Yeah, man. I'm getting Hey, by the way, if you took the flux capacitor back to 1955 this week, should Jordan would be? That's a long way back, but that was the year in the movie, right?
3: Yeah, should absolutely.
1: Should Should Jordan at Auburn would be putting the finishing touches on the recruiting class that would lead Auburn to its first national title Dang. in 1957? Bang! So right, two
3: go. years later. Um, yep. let 's talk about the recruiting yep. for Brian Harson because there was a narrative that hasn 't really unfolded this way that uh, mm-hmm. they 're going to be bringing in kids from Washington State and Oregon and Arizona and all that and that 's not really <laughs> yeah. how it is um, yeah. and the majority of the commits at least are from alabama all right let 's talk about number of commits and quality of commits. Just give me your flyover your general introduction to the success that staff has had to this point getting commitments.
1: Well, look, Look. in terms of commitments, they only have 13 of them, and one of them is perilously uh, on the brink here, and that's Drew Bobo, the son of Auburn Offensive Coordinator Mike Bobo. So, you know, you're probably going to lose him. Let's be honest. I've not even reached out to him. I'm giving the kid his space, I and mean, I know that's my job to talk to these kids, but Mike's a good guy. His son's a good kid. We kind of probably can figure out where it's headed, Right. So let's give him a little space. But anyway, that would take you down to, 13, to 12 commitments. But right now they've got 12. And the big one, and there are some big ones, you've got to build a class around a quarterback. And they've got Holden Gurner committed from Savannah Benedictine, who's got 29 touchdown passes and three interceptions this year. He just went almost three months in between interceptions, Chuck. His team just beat Atlanta Marist, the number one school in his classification last week. He's now in the semifinals and probably well on his way to to get into the championship game and maybe winning that ring, so you have got to build around those guys. In a QB, you're looking for a few things. Obviously, forget about the tools. Obviously, that's obvious. But it's the uh, what's in between the ears and can a guy elevate your program? Is he a winner and or can he elevate your program? Everybody knows I got those Florida roots, and when you look back at all the Gator commits, that, excuse me, the Gator quarterbacks that won at Florida, they all had one thing in common: each of them won a state title in high school. Shane Matthews, Tim Tebow. Uh, you go it goes on and on and on Rex Chris Grossman. Hey, that's right the guys that won big at Florida also won big in high school and that that's really applicable to most schools and so this guy is elevating his team one and very well could get a ring so you're building your class around a guy that's an absolute stud they're kind of miffed at Auburn that why he's not in one of these all-america games at this point uh, but then you've got Caden Story an in-state defensive lineman You've got Damari Alston, a very solid running back out of Alabama. You've got some good receivers. The deficiency or where they're lacking in numbers. Unfortunately, are at the positions where they have the biggest needs right now. So they got to close strong. That's O-line, D-line, and then you know you're going to lose some linebackers. And you need some of them. And then also at receiver, they've got two commits. But they are going to have some attrition this offseason that we know of. And that was really one of the weaker points of the team this past year. So there's still a lot of work to be done. But they do seem to be in good position to potentially close strong here in December.
3: Okay. I got my hand up midseason. And it kind of leveled out. But I said the offensive line, I had done nothing. And I think it was fair evaluation, but it had also been yeah. criticism. Offensive line, I was like, kudos to them, they're way better. I agree yeah. with you. The receivers, that was the most deficient group position. I'm talking like talent and production yeah. on the entire team. And I I've never understood how any SEC team can be short on receivers, but especially a heritage program like Auburn. Yeah. Well, you know, a
1: few things with that. Uh first of all, they were it was a major change in the way receivers ran routes from the old staff to this staff. Some kids adjusted well, some didn't, Uh, but there were some talented guys that didn't play a lot this year. And we've learned that uh, they kind of have like a a point system in a, in a sense to how you get on the field on Saturday, you got to do all the things right during the week. Now, a lot of schools have that. That's not just Auburn, but there were some kids that maybe weren't buying in, weren't maybe doing the things they should have been doing to get on the field on Saturday. And some of those guys can play and some of those guys probably won't be on the team next year. So in a, in a, in in this in Brian Harson's judgment, instead of sacrificing the, the what he's trying to change, what he's trying to instill in the program, he, he didn't. And uh sometimes that costs you a little bit. But yeah, Chuck, they gotta get they gotta get a lot better. They've got two receivers committed, one Jay Fair out of Texas, really speedy guy, not a big guy, but a speedy guy, had a lot of big offers, and the other one is Amari Kelly out of Hewitt Trustville just northeast of Birmingham. He had a big season. But they've got to finish strong there. They're in it with a few guys. They're going to have a receiver from Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas, Quantes, uh, who, uh Camden Brown, who just decommitted from Pitt. We know what kind of receivers Pitt's produced. Uh, he's going to officially visit this weekend. But I think, Chuck, that's going to be a spot where you're going to see them go really, really hard in the portal. Not for numbers, but to at least bring in one super stud if they can this offseason. Of course, the issue is, you know, you can't just go into the portal and fix all your problems. I mean, once a guy gets in the portal – if he's legit, everybody else is going yeah. after him, too. So, you know, it's a feeding frenzy. But that's going to be the goal to, uh, to to do that, I
2: think.
3: All right. Uh, there, you know, I, I had talked about – and you said, you know, you're a Florida guy. And so, I, I think you could back this up, <laughs> that Al Golden – You know, I had a Miami fan, like an Uber fan, tell me all this criticism. Mm -hmm. He's not recruiting South Florida's crap. He says, Chuck, he still recruits it. He just doesn't get the caliber of guys that Miami used to get. He gets the leftovers who might have gone to UCF. Um, If you look at in-state recruiting, I said that basically half the commits, right? And they're just commits. Mm -hmm. Nobody can sign. Mm -hmm basically mm-hmm. half the class is in-state, but is it the caliber and the kids you want? If you look in-state, it's not right now. In fact, if it's not for a clean sweep for Alabama in the top ten, there might be one kid at the end of yeah. it story. Um, talk about in-state and what's going on. Well, there is some stuff going on. I mean, number six
1: player in the state of Alabama is a linebacker named Robert Woodyard out of Mobile. Auburn's very confident it's going to flip him. Uh, And he's been to Auburn, gosh, five or six times since June, including an official visit, including for Big Cat Weekend. He was back at the Iron Bowl, and he wasn't there cheering for for Alabama. So the feeling is that Auburn on signing day has an excellent chance to move him into that column. Also, the number three player in the state is a kid named Curtis Perry. Kind of an undersized defensive lineman, but really good Skill set. I mean, just just freaky skill set. And Auburn's probably recruiting him harder than anybody. He officially visited over the weekend, exited that visit, calling Auburn his leader. Now, are Alabama still lurking? It's probably going to come down to, to be honest, and he's going to officially visit Texas this weekend, it's probably going to come down to who recruits him hardest the last two weeks. I mean, if Auburn can prove to him they need him the most, they want him the most, and they recruit him the hardest, and uh, the the new defensive line coach Nick Easton's built a good relationship with him. If they can kind of sell him on all that and fit into the defense, uh, some people close to him think he fits better into the Auburn defense than the Alabama defense. That's not for me to determine. Yeah. Other people may have differing opinions, but they feel like they they've got a shot with him. Uh, the number line number nine line, uh, player in the state's a linebacker, TJ Dudley, out of Montgomery's committed to Oregon. Auburn has a push for him. If they do, they could probably get him. So it's not always about the rankings. Let's put it that way. I mean. You know, sometimes these guys <laughs> sometimes these guys, uh, put too much stock. In, you know, how do I say this? Rankings do matter, of course, but doesn't always mean the guy seventh in the state is better than the guy 13th in the state. Oh, We're absolutely, absolutely true. Higher on the board than that guy. And so here's a guy number nine in the state, T.J. Dudley, that Auburn could probably flip any day if it wanted to and hasn't tried to. Instead, they've recruited some guys uh, that aren't quite as highly ranked in the state higher. So, it, it's you know, it's kind of interesting. But I they have a chance to finish fairly well in the rankings in the state. Uh, we'll see. Not not like – I mean, look, Alabama's still uh, done very well with the top guys. There's no question about it. But Auburn could – diminish that a little bit by flipping a Robert Woodyard and landing a Curtis Berry.
3: Now, I know this has been like 15 years ago. Did you ever know yeah. Tuberville very well? Did you? No, I didn't. I was in another state yeah. at the time. Oh, well, he had a reputation. And like I said, this is not how it's done yeah. anymore, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he would be walking past a kid stretching during camp and go, ball player, give him a scholarship. Um, he saw Courtney Taylor, <laughs> the wide receiver, playing basketball and didn't even talk to him. He said, He's a wide receiver. Give him a scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're right. There is something to looking at a kid and going ball player versus what I heard. I think it was Randy Shannon and his staff that literally would go by the scout.com ratings. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, overall, the the big picture, I do think
1: rankings are important, not because, uh, well, not because of what people in my business think per se, but because those top guys, when you look at who's after them, when you're landing them, you're beating out the best teams. And if, if, if nine of the top ten programs in the country want a kid, you have to assume that those programs know how to evaluate people. And so if you're beating those programs out, you know, you know that's significant. To me, it's not so much – it's more important who you beat out than maybe what the kids rated. I mean, if you're beating out a lot of good guys – Oh, everybody protect, wanted Byron you know. Coward. Exactly. Well, you know, he is in the NFL.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's getting
1: a paycheck. He wasn't a total bust, but yeah, but no, you're um, right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's mostly, but that doesn't mean they're not wrong. I mean, Nick Saban, best look at the guy. I mean, the guy's setting every coaching record known to man. How? I mean, he's wrong a lot. They all are. I mean, the best guys, the best of the best, are not always right.
3: Wrapping up, Keith Niebuhr again, two four seven. Last guy I want to ask you about, if you've eyeballed uh, Justice Finkley, and is that? I mean, obviously that's a connection from the Bama staff, not anything at mm-hmm. Auburn. Um, mm-hmm. What's the? What's your 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 vision for him in in three weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, he's going to Texas. Seems like he's sticking. Look, Auburn never really got involved with him. Now, as soon as I say that, I'll find out. Oh, yeah, he visited here today. But they've never really gotten involved with him. Sometimes it's a body type thing. He's not super tall. You know, by the way, neither is Curtis Perry. But they they are uh, the similar size, but Justice Finkley's more of a – I mean, he looks like a bodybuilder. But for whatever reason, you know, schools have differing opinions on guys. Auburn just never really made a big push to get – to, to to get involved with him, they never even brought him down. They never had him visit, so you know, I mean it, that to me says a lot,
3: yeah, Keith, There are really successful programs that look yeah. at you know really highly rated prospects at corner and go, dude's five nine and a half, we're not offering
1: yeah. well, let me tell you something, so Rodney Garner, who I love i mean I, he he can be a little gruff at times, I love that guy and. Uh, he's got a great track record, what, like six guys that have been first round picks from his defensive Thanks. lines through the years? But he didn't really recruit, from what I'm, with my memory's correct, Sheldon Rankins. They didn't, just didn't think he was tall enough, really. I mean, he ended up being a first round pick. Yep. I mean, after he went to Louisville, I mean, everybody's got different taste. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean Rodney was wrong. He wanted the guys that he wanted. He's looking for certain kind of skill set, certain kind of body frame, body type. That's what they all are doing. Keith, um, you know, they all do things a little differently.
3: Keith, I always appreciate the insight, brother. We will catch up with you soon, I'm, I'm sure, in a couple of weeks uh, when that early period is. All right, brother? Yeah, take care, man. All right, thank you so much. Keith Lieber. again, 247.
2: now more college football talk with the king of college football it's the chuck oliver show on southern sports today
3: when a college player gets a ring it can be a lifetime of pride and open doors Now, I don't know this, but I'm trying to remember, and I don't know, and I'm not even able to spring this on him. But, Dan, didn't you have a brother play baseball at North Carolina? I did. Okay. When Andrew Miller was there, didn't they play Oregon State in the College World Series finals?
0: They did. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they had a big lead in the clinching game. And lost, tagged, it, And then came back the next night. Final inning, a guy made a bad throwing error to give Oregon State the lead. Heartbreaking. And, absolutely. And if you were... The last
3: player who was a walk-on, only because you were a pretty good defensive catcher in high school, and they needed somebody to do what? Warm up pitchers. Yeah, catch bullpens. All right, that that's valuable it ain't scholarship valuable, but if you're a guy who was all district because you got a glove, man, and you know how to call a game, and you can what, and you can warm up pitchers. Do you know what that kid got? He got a ring. He got a ring. If North Carolina, Dan's brother got a ring. I know people who, who have rings. That ring, it is forever, unless you sell it. That ring is forever. And it is pride, and it is achievement, and it is accomplishment, and it is looking at your kids and then looking at their kids and going, yep, dad did this in 1979. And open doors. I got a, a friend of mine who, Dale Overton, and he was a walk on wide receiver at Auburn. He was from Hackleburg, and he was not a big guy, but he caught like 90 passes a senior year, and he walked on at Auburn. He wound up playing at Auburn in the late 80s as a walk on, but he was just a little guy. And I think he wound up getting, he was probably, I don't know, 5'9, five, 5'10, five, but he was good. He got a ring. His walk on, he got SEC championship ring. God bless Dale Overton. Um, and so it can be a lifetime of opening doors. Oh, you were on that 2002 team? Yeah, I was. Well, come on, sit on now. Let's talk about it. Uh, I got your resume here, folks. That's real. If 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 I went to Auburn and had a ring in Jimmy Rain, he's an Auburn guy, right? I- Jim. If, if I went to Florida and had a ring and I'm not an NFL player, like if I'm Chris leak right now, all right, where's the bull gator directory?
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember years ago, AJ McCarron did a story in sports illustrated where he had talked about what motivates you to certain (sighs) guys on the team. And he told them, he said, you want money. You win a national title. You're going to have all the money you ever want for the rest of your life. And Chuck, let me tell you something. I've been around people who have championship rings it's like a nice suit. It is immediately a conversation starter. Ooh, what's this from? Where'd you get that from?
3: I got a, a a guy that I know who worked in the public relations office. Actually, he he was public I think he was PR director for the Kansas City Royals in 1985. He worked for John Sherholtz. Guess what he has? A ring. I got a buddy of mine that was working media relations for I think AA Greenville, South Carolina maybe. I think For a Braves minor league affiliate, 1995. You know what he has today? Rang. And if you are a player, lifetime of pride and open doors. And then there's bad timing. There is a list of players who transferred out of UGA before this season. Not for last season. Not for two seasons ago. Not this coming February. Who transferred out of UGA before this season? I was a seventh seventh grader when Georgia last won its national a national champ. In fact, last one, it's the only national championship. And I'm going to tell you, I think it was the 80, 2006 season maybe, 2007. Suddenly, like 1942 started showing up. But by my estimation, I, 1980 was the only national championship for Georgia. I was a seventh grader. I'm thinking of all the great players who have gone to Georgia in the ensuing four decades. And they tried, and none of them got it. And they tried, and still none of them got it. And then more great players went, and none of them got it either. Not the ring. And I think George is going to get the ring this year. And Dewan Mathis will not. Because before this season, Dewan Mathis, who all these players before him had tried the same thing, Dewan Mathis, like, yeah, you know, it's been 40 years. I'm going to transfer out for my own reasons. And he did not transfer to Temple in search of a national championship ring. He transferred to Temple so he could continue to play quarterback and not move to wide receiver. Dewan Mathis will not get a na- national championship ring. Makia Tongay? wide receiver he looked around he's like i'm gonna play i'm going to oregon state i'm going to oregon state be a beaver trey blunt wide receiver at old dominion it was his covid year that he used but i'm counting that matt landers wide receiver i'm not gonna play first transferred to toledo and then said hey tulsa i'm your guy Tyreek Stevenson, he would have played too. He would have helped. Georgia would have been even better. He transferred to Miami this season, and have I told you life rules, the I'll leave it at that, when a guy says, when a, not a woman, when a man says to you, blah, 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 whatever, The I'll leave it at that. There is no more damning statement, almost. like you know exactly. It's not a positive thing. I was like, tell me about Tyreek Stevenson. He's a really good player and he would have helped this defense. It's probably good that he transferred. I'll leave it at that. I was like, oh. Notori Johnson, again, used the COVID year, Middle Tennessee. Tommy Bush, North Texas. Major Burns, LSU. They transferred for this season. And then there's Jermaine Johnson who says, yeah, um, I will use my signing bonus as the 14th overall pick. That will open doors for me. Everybody else, eh. It worked out for Jermaine Johnson, assuming that he doesn't really value a ring. And I don't know that. Fred McGriff was, he's about as close to being a Hall of Fame player as you can be without being a Hall of Fame player. And at the end of his career, and I'm going to try to get this right. He's from Tampa and he was playing for the Rays. It was the career wind down. Send me home. Let me play in front of the home folks. And so he had a chance. The Cubs wanted to trade for him. And Fred's a veteran. He's like, yeah, no, I ain't moving. Tampa's like, "Uh, sorry, Chicago. They assume because the Cubs had a chance to win. Oh, Fred doesn't care about rings. At that point, I don't think Fred cared about a ring as much because he already had one. So there are players who have not been motivated by, I want a ring or I want another. I don't know what Jermaine Johnson wants as far as jewelry, but he can buy himself a ring. And I don't know. Y'all know what the Georgia defense looks like in that depth chart. Nicobe Dean splits time. So so Jermaine Johnson, if he would have hung around, yeah, he'd have played. <laughs> That's big of you, Kirby. You'll find some snaps for the guy who may be the fourteenth or eighteenth or twentieth or whatever he is. For Jermaine, I, I will I will opine he's good without the ring. For every other guy, it's a lifetime